I'm sure many of you have seen the growing number of protests. And in fact, let me not call them protests because it's become protests, but initially what a lot of people are calling land invasions. And we've seen a lot of that happening in Cape Town. Yes, there there's been some also happening in, in the Gauteng region, but there's been a lot of attention and focus in Cape Town. The question is, with what we now know, and the landscape has been has changed. So we're going to unpack all of that now. With what we now know, there's a backlog, for instance, in Gauteng of a million homes. That's the stats that are that are given to us by the the province. So it's not me saying that there, there's that backlog. The backlog, the backlog. Those stats come from government themselves. We'll talk now about what's happening in Cape Town. But if you have that kind of backlog, right, and you have people who are now out of jobs who would have ordinarily been paying to stay in someone's backyard, cannot pay that rent, have been evicted, illegally so, by the way, and nobody comes to their rescue. What do you think happens to those people? And we're now discovering that's actually the number of people that are now finding themselves looking and occupying land. So the story about people who are selling land has changed. So the syndicates, it's no longer syndicates that are occupying land. These are desperate South Africans that are like you and me are finding themselves in a very, very precarious situation because COVID-19 has affected their financial status. So that's a conversation we're going to have. And I want you to be a part of it. 0891-104-207. To discuss all of this with me is Adi Kumar, who is Executive Director at Development Action Group. He joins me now on the line. Eddie, thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. Good afternoon. So it's a mammoth problem. And I think to to look the other way and to start um, calling people names, and, and we've heard this, in fact, on this particular platform, where people are just very quick to dismiss uh, land inv- invaders and calling them criminals. That's the term that they're using. I think it's far more complex than that. What are you suggesting becomes a solution to this problem, which I don't think is going to go, go, go away tomorrow, by the way? Absolutely. And I mean, just to emphasize the point that you were making to Melo earlier, that the nature of land invasions as it historically has happened has changed dramatically from the early 90s to the mid-2000s. The kind of land occupations we're experiencing at the moment are really desperate South Africans who were rendered homeless and landless just because of the circumstances and the economic circumstances that we find ourselves in. And look, there isn't an easy solution for finding ways around the land occupations but like you're saying labeling people and collective punishment either from national government or from the city doesn't really help anyone it, uh, regardless of what government says the legislation and the law is very clear the law says that anybody who's rendered homeless the state has a responsibility to support and provide some kind of alternative accommodation and evictions as they so-called uh, have to be done through a court order so there are a few kind of measures that potentially can be taken to Melo which would uh, ease some of the pressures. The first is really action uh, related to landlords and tenants. And many of these land occupations that are taking place are taking place because the tenants do not have any stable employment anymore, do not have a source of income. The landlords do not have a source of income. For no fault of theirs, the tenants and landlords find themselves in very difficult positions. And landlords are evicting people. Uh, by the thousands, and these people, uh, unfortunately, have nowhere else to go. And so in these instances, they occupy pieces of land, and 
there hasn't been a very clear message either from national or from the city or from the province that clearly says that you know landlords have some protective measures and tenants have some protective measures to put these. So, 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 Eddie, let, let me ask you this because um, the reason we are talking to you is that you've you've raised these concerns publicly, but also the work that you guys have done essentially is to try and have some cohesion between the the land. Um, the land uh, occupants and government and state, local government and also pro- public sectors as well. And and what I'm finding partly problematic is that the the conversation between municipal um, governance, province and national at the moment is not is they're not speaking in one voice. Absolutely, they they are not speaking in one voice. It is really. Uh, not just confusing for for people who are occupying these pieces of land. So at one level, uh, all spheres of government are saying that, you know, these are terrible circumstances, and the president has said it himself, that the biggest injustice at this moment is the experience that the poor and the vulnerable are facing in South Africa. At the same time, they're saying we will not tolerate any land occupation, but there are no alternatives. So what do we expect people to do in those particular circumstances? There has to be some avenues in which, uh, and we've seen it in the in the food relief side of Melo, where citizens, where common citizens, are coming out and supporting communities like eating schemes and all of those kind of things. Mm. But we've seen that government has taken a very strong stance when it comes to housing and land issues, uh, and a real control through anti-land invasion units, traps, and 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 metro police. You you speak about how we need to be very clear about how we group these people and and be quite um, empathetic in how we treat them and and not have this blanket view of them being criminals. I'm going to put that in inverted commas, and and it's a problem that I have found. For instance, when I spoke to the local government in Cape Town, uh, which by themselves also say yes, they agree that there is a you know there's a problem with 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 housing and so on. But they didn't have the profile of the people who are occupying that land. So they didn't make it their business to understand what kind of people they are uh, they are trying to evict. Were those desperate South Africans? Were those criminals? What, what was behind that land occupation? They don't understand those people themselves and who they are. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is really kind of goes to the core of the issue. When land gets occupied, there are like hundreds of people occupying those land, that particular piece of land, particularly in Cape Town, out of desperation. And there are there are there are criminals too. Yes. That, yeah, there are opportunists who, yeah. who who land bank on these things and who rent out properties in occupied land or in informal settlements and so on. But this is common knowledge, and the the, the fact is that there is really no way that the state will be able to control or screen. Uh, appropriately without having a very, very localized response that works with the people that are on the ground. So without having these conversations, you cannot make uh, blanket statements or assumptions about people because it labels people, it it puts their status more at risk uh, in that case. But the bigger issue, I think, is the one that you highlighted. It is really necessarily about, and this is something that both national and local have acknowledged, uh, that the response to the housing problem and the housing crisis hasn't been addressed adequately, and that is really where the core of this particular problem lies. 
Th- th- then why, Addy, is it that we have allowed gov- government's posture to, to change depending on when they talk to us about housing? So at election time, they still use housing as, as this is what I'm going to do for you as your government. It's been now more than 25 years since um, there's been a new government in place. In fact, different, different governments have come into place. And we still allow them to come back and criminalize homelessness. Why is it that that has happened? I mean, there's multiple reasons for for that particular instance to happen. So, for instance, let's take informal settlements at the start of this. We have close to about 2,700 odd informal settlements and estimated about 1.2, 1.5 million households living in informal settlements at the moment. Now, to upgrade an informal settlement, it can take Camelo up to anywhere between 7 and a half to 11 years for one informal settlement and can go up to about 15 years. Now, this is just unacceptable when you have such a large number of informal settlements, uh, in, especially in the metros, in Johannesburg, in Ekekwene, in Cape Town, and so on. So one of the big kind of emphasis in this particular, and especially post-COVID, that needs to come forward from all spheres of government is unite, unite in, in their action towards upgrading informal settlements. And we know from from very, very hands-on experience that this cannot be done with people on the ground. It cannot be an election issue. It has to become a core fundamental issue that government takes on through engaging with people, through engaging with people living in informal settings. I'm going to ask you... Today, yeah? Go ahead, Eddie. I just wanted to say the second point was was that for 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 a large... for a large chunk of time we've ignored the plight of backyarders and that really needs to come forward as a systematic program to address private rental accommodation. It is by far the fastest growing housing provision in Cape Town at the moment, backyarding. And we do not have any kind of support mechanisms to provide support to tenants to, to manage the relationship between landlords and tenants. There's no governance structures there. And it's not to say that the state needs to control it but to provide avenues to enable those relationships to perform better, to be less uh, extorted, to provide better services to people. And perhaps that's where one of the uh, solutions lies. I'm going to actually ask you to elaborate a little bit when we get back on that particular point. And I also uh, I see your call there, Colin. I'll take your call in in a short while. I'm going to ask many of you to also start dialing in 0891-104-207. And I also see your voice notes. I'll take them in a short while. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 105.6 FM in Palaborwa. Okay, we are taking your calls on 891 We're speaking about the the major, major issue that we've been seeing, land occupation that we've seen now lately, and that hasn't been going down well. In fact, a lot of protests have been um, happening in Cape Town recently because of land invasions. And the question is, what is behind these recent land invasions? Is it like we had seen before? And research is telling us that it's not actually. Um, the, the, the type of people that are occupying land now are genuinely desperate South Africans who have had to be evicted out of backyard uh, backyards as, as, as rental tenants because they just cannot afford housing anymore and, and they cannot afford those rents. So we are seeing a different profile of a person that is invading land at the moment. And the question is, what are we going to do about that? Colin is calling us from Cape Town. Good afternoon, Colin. Good afternoon, Gamelan. Good afternoon, your guest. Good afternoon. You know, um, our president announced... Uh, 
before with this COVID business, landlords to be lenient on tenants and so so on, you know. Now, not to do, not to evict or anything like that. But have you noticed now since the lockdown, uh, we were actually told by the president not to evict. Nobody must be evicted. Now, all of a sudden, with this COVID, the influx of people now, it's just invading land. So, there could be some some force behind this, opportunists and things like that, especially in the Western Cape, because it's only now lately that they're invading so badly that uh, they've got now a chance, because they are, were told you can't evict. But do you think anybody. people, do you think, which is exactly what no. my, my guest is saying, just hang on a minute, what, I, what my guest is saying is the work that they've done is clearly showing that exactly that, just because the president and government has said do not evict people doesn't mean that it's not happening. And the problem here is how then do we make it possible that that relationship is maintained and when the president says don't evict, then there is a solution because those landlords themselves rely so heavily on that rental income. Yes. You see, another thing to uh, the way I look at it, um, those people, 90% of them must have been in backyards already, you know what I mean? But now, haven't those people got an understanding, look here, we know you're out of a job, hang on for a while, we'll let you stay here. Why are they evicting people? In a perfect world, Colin. This is the point. This In a perfect world. They're breaking the law. Who's breaking the law? Whoever invicts people. Of course they're breaking the law, but no, I mean... But, then, but those people should be asked, where do you come from? And go and find out, this person evicted me. I was staying on this camp. I was staying there. I was staying there. And then go uh, 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 and tell those people, look, you had no right to evict those people. Colin, the, the, the point here is there, there's got to be empathy everywhere. So, yes, they're breaking the law, but they're going to ask you, so, Colin, are you going to give me that rental income that I've just lost? The, the, what, what this guest is saying is we, we say things without having to come up with solutions about what's the way forward. So just because you've just told me not to evict the person and that's the only income I have doesn't mean that I don't need the income. So, so what solutions do we come up with when we tell people not to demand rent? Well, do you know, but, uh, but I mean, uh, well, those people that's uh, um, invading now, uh, I'm sure they were paying minimum rent there. And what is minimum, Colin? Uh, I would say, all right, living in the backyard, you can't be paying four, five, six thousand. And, and, and to you, you see, to you it's minimal. To you it's minimal. Money is relative. And I don't see how you can make that point and not see that. No, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, backyard people won't charge them a, a big amount. But that's like, my point. The term "big" in itself is what we're contesting here. But just because it's not big to you doesn't mean that it's not big to the person paying it. Yeah, but I mean, still, uh, they they must have a heart. Man, you can't just put the people out. No, uh, All right. uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, listen, you'll uh, use our welcome. Nature, the yeah. probably South Africans, they don't think of the next person. They just think of themselves. Colin there, thank you so much. Are you calling us from Cape Town? Eddie, do you want to respond to that caller? No, I think you've responded adequately to that, Pamelo. I think the point is that uh, these the, the, the tenant and landlord relationships aren't managed 
in the ways private property in the inner cities are managed. There's no lease agreement. There's, there's informal arrangements that are governed uh, in a very different way than what we use. And so when people are pushed out of their house, uh, it's not as if they can rely on any kind of legal recourse or written documents to say this is what has happened. Now, there are institutions in government like the rental housing tribunals, uh, which are based either provincially, which can provide support around these kind of issues. But unfortunately, these institutions are, are hard to reach for the tenants that are trying to resolve many of these issues with the landlords. And I think that as the period for COVID-19 and the pandemic starts to go beyond, you know, two, three months, as we're experiencing right now, the number of people who are going to experience is going to exponentially grow in the coming months. I mean, these are very complex conversations. It's actually not that simple. It's not black and white. It's not the kind of thing that simplistically just don't kick people out or don't invade land. It's very, very complex. So I'm going to take more of your calls on 0891-104-207 and your WhatsApp notes on 0614-104-107. Here's one voice note now. Tell me, what's the point of giving one person a tender of almost a billion rand uh, these tenders of 100 million and all that for one for just individuals why am i getting with this look now people are not employed people are losing their jobs people now have to invade land because they can't pay rent and to our government this is like a joke so they're so used to us suffering that they make everything that a black man suffer suffering is like a joke so it's normal and they're normalizing things which are not normal this is not right thank you Hello, Pimelo. It's Mzama here from Bloemfontein. The only way I see that we can make a dent in getting or in dealing with informal settlements is if people are given land. I do believe that our people are quite capable of building their own houses and structures. But let's not promise them houses or let's not seek to provide them with houses, but rather let's focus on giving them land. Once everybody has got a formal stand with services, and then you can look at somewhere down the line, providing them with a brick and mortar structure or some kind of a structure. But in the main, I do believe that our people are capable of building their own houses as long as they could have access to land. Eddie Kumar is Executive Director at Development Action Group and he is with me to discuss the major land invasion problem that we're seeing at the moment and how we're going to solve all of that. None of this is simple to to identify and at least uh, respond to. We're obviously just trying to bring up the issue so that we see the complexities of the problem. And I'll allow uh, Eddie to respond to your voice notes and, and I also see your voice notes and your calls they're coming through. I'll take them after this. It's one thirty. Let me go to Utsile for the latest in headlines. Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM 106.6 FM in Bloemfontein.
We're speaking about the surge in land occupation that we're seeing recently, and we've been seeing a lot of uh, uh, unrest in Cape Town. Uh, but that's not to say it's only happening in Cape Town. In Gauteng, there's been a lot of that as well. And the question is, what are we going to do with these land occupations that are happening? Because we are seeing, and studies are showing, that the profile of the people who are occupying these lands are not um, the, the, the land are not what you used to think um, of, of land invasions before. So there was a study that was done around. Uh, 2014 I think and there were different types of people invading land and this time it's more people who've been evicted out of uh, the back rooms that they're living in and so these are South Africans that have lost jobs during COVID-19 and the question is we already have a backlog of housing that the Department of Housing has told us about. We now are seeing more people added on to that list. What are we going to do with all of this And, and I think we are now discovering that these are not simple answers so we are trying to explore all kinds of ways of dealing with this because I'm afraid this is not going to change tomorrow. Eddie Kumar is Executive Director at Development Action Group and they do a lot of work between communities and government and trying to find solutions particularly around housing and he's has, he's got some thoughts around this. Eddie, the two callers that came in a bit earlier on, your response to that? Excellent points raised by the two callers there, Pamela. So if you look at the current model of, of of RDP housing that's been implemented over the last uh, last two and a half decades, the model has really been about large construction companies building RDP houses on the periphery of the city on cheap land that that can easily be serviced, uh, but really doesn't have any connection to the to the main economy of the city, doesn't have any connection to social amenities, to any kind of facilities that any of the middle class households generally enjoy. The points the two speakers are raising are critical. The firstly, the issue of land is essential. I think people there are programs in the housing code, and there's a tradition that people are well and capable of building their own houses if the right form of support is available in the form of a small subsidy, in the form of housing support, and so on. So the issue of land is critical, and this land cannot be located on the periphery of the city. It has to be located in the inner cities as close as possible to economic opportunities. Post-COVID, we cannot expect the poor to carry the burden of transporting themselves looking for employment from Khailicha into the city. Eddie, let me ask let me ask you, why is it that this issue keeps coming back up again over and over again? So when you have a conversation with government, they will tell you, well, that's the land that's available. But we've seen that they've been taken to court, for instance, in KZN over and over again by Abbasali, Basam Jondolo, who have won cases about the proximity to, as you're saying, an economy. So where there is land that's available, that's owned by government, that is within the city and they just don't have plans to do anything about it and they just don't want people to be in that piece of land. And, and, and courts have demanded that the, the land be given to people. Why is it that government has to be fought, for forced by, by courts to do exactly what you've just said? It's a great point and this baffles all of us, Pamela. Uh, our first publication in 1991 spoke to the Defence Forces land in Cape Town of Youngsfield, Wingsfield. Uh, and speaking to the release of those parcels of land, this is pre-democracy. In 25 years, we're still waiting for those pieces of land to be released. And it's not just national land. It's, it's provincial land. It's city land. All of these parcels of land are, are sitting vacant, uh, accruing value as uh, as things happen, and could be an, an incredible amount of resource at the moment when people are rendered homeless. 
They could provide essential housing for people. They could provide temporary housing for people. There's enormous opportunity there. And this is the real way in which you engage with citizens around the housing crisis. You get them to come in on pieces of land, develop different models, do things differently, and use this as an opportunity to rethink how we've been delivering housing in the country. Mm. Fanny, you're calling us from Khamulebo in Limpopo. Good afternoon. Yes, ma'am. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thanks for calling, Fanny. Yes, you know, I have a problem with people. Like, the issue of land is not really a problem. The problem is that people want to live next to cities. That's where the problem started, you see. People want to live next to the cities. Before you reach a city, there will be an arable land, if I can tell you. You know what you, you know what I mean, Oskumela? I do hear what you're saying, I and that's be- exactly what Eddie is saying. But why, but why is it a problem? Why is it that people cannot choose where they want to live? You know, let me give you an example about the, the government of Limpopo. Mm. You know what they said earlier, in, early in 1994, they told the people of Limpopo, please, do not occupy land next to the big cities, because this is where the development is going to come from. And you know what, it is working wonders today. As soon I can tell you, today in Limpopo, next to the cities, there are complexes, they are said, like, like for instance, I will just wake up from Hamlepo and go to the city and wait. Can you okay. imagine if the people like, for instance, mm. in Polukwan, my nearest uh, city is Polukwan, you see? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if people, like the old people from our next to the villages of Limpopo were, were sitting in, in that's not going to be okay. uh, possible. Don't go, don't go anywhere, yes, Fanny, yes. because I want you to think about this. So a government yes. tells you not to go to the city. You live in Hamanskral. Hang on. You live in yes. Hamanskral and oh. you stay in Hamanskral, right? But yes. the government yes. doesn't bring water to you in Hamanskral, okay? And so if, yes. I'm, if I'm a parent, I'm bringing up children, I don't have a high school in my village. I do not have running water in my village. Nobody seems to care about service delivery in my village. Let me tell you something. I will leave the village to the city for better opportunities for my children. And so that right I have as a citizen. I don't know, but you, you know what? You know what? I'd like to uh, applaud the government of Limpopo. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I'll, 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 I'll you know, they, at the moment, the government of Limpopo has really taken people first. You know that the, the, the Batupili principles, mm-hmm. right? Like today, I can tell you, uh, I'll I'm staying in villages around Limpopo. Mm-hmm. Our villages are more beautiful than than any other. Yes, than any other places. Mm-hmm. You know what they did? Mm-hmm. They are caring about us in Limpopo. Right now, I'm staying in a village. I don't mind going to. To Pulugwan, 45, 45 kilometers mm-hmm. to go to work and come back. I do have everything. I do have water. I do have electricity. Mm-hmm. I won't mind. I won't mind. It's lovely. Rent. I mean, that, that's an <laughs> ideal situation. It's a lovely story. Thank you so much for that, Fanny. Mm-hmm. Let me give you a chance to wrap up, Eddie. We've got two minutes. Yeah, very quickly. I think, look, the, the people moving from rural areas to urban areas isn't stopping. Our demography is very young and people are going to move to the cities for economic opportunities and for, you know, just uh, aspirations and fulfill kind of whatever their needs are. So we have to be able to plan uh, for the people that are going to come into the cities over the next decade or so and, and be prepared for it. And there's, there's just no amount of kind of uh, planning or control or law enforcement that's actually going to stop this uh, urbanization. It's just inevitable. We just have to find different avenues and different innovations to work through. Thanks for bringing up uh, all of this uh, to our attention, Eddie, and just the complexities of what we're faced with and how we can apply our minds better when we're dealing with this. Eddie Kumar is Executive Director at uh, Development Action Group, and that uh, conversation will be available as a podcast.